you will, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. We'll read through the end of the chapter here in just a moment. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. As we uh, get into the second of uh, four sermons planned from uh, this uh, very, very short book, but it's uh, really a very uh, both doctrinally dense book. It says some things to us that I think are very important to us, and, and it's a book with uh, great application for our lives to help us uh, to enjoy the great benefits that are ours as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there is an, an old adage goes something like this, do not believe anything you hear, and only half of what you see. Now, old adages become old, or I guess adages become old, or you could say cliches stick around, because typically there's an element of wisdom in those statements. The upshot, the application of a statement such as that is that we should be a discerning people, maybe at times even be a skeptical people. Now, there are some that would say of me, incorrectly, of course, that I am slightly cynical and sarcastic. Now, I don't see it in myself. Some of you say you do, but I, I don't. But one of the things that I've come to say, now, whether it's because I'm a skeptic or whether it's because I'm a cynic or whether it's because I'm sarcastic, I like to think of myself, I'm just realistic. One of the problems that we have in our culture is that liars are reporting on liars. That is, how do we actually know what's going on in our world in any strata of the culture? Politics, academics, economics, you go down the laundry list, okay? Uh, seems like everyone has a vested interest in twisting the facts to support their agenda. That's concerning. Should be concerning to you. But the good news for you today is we really don't have to have that type of outlook, that type of attitude, that type of skepticism in regards to the Word of God. We, we have great certainty. Now, one of the good things that the unbelieving skeptics of our world, and again, for thousands of years, that have indicted the Word and see it, sought to undermine that Word, the thing that it has done is that as the Word of God has been scrutinized by those that desire to reject it, it always comes back as being proven as true. They've done us a favor, in fact, by all of their skepticism and all of their scrutiny. And so I say to you with the utmost of confidence that we have a sure and a certain word from God and that he has also given to us that very spirit that inspired those men of old to write for us that which God would have revealed to us that very same Spirit dwells within the heart of every believer and gives us God's assistance in helping us to understand the great truth, the great wisdom, and indeed, even the great application, the, the, the relevance, the goodness of the Word of God. 
So let's look at this this morning as we look at uh, Peter's affirmation of the certainty of the Word of God. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Four, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for the great privilege that you've given us to us to gather as your people at the appointed place, at the appointed time, to hear your word. We thank you for that testimony to yourself, to, to, to the fact that you have revealed yourself and you have revealed yourself savingly to us. We thank you. Your, your word for us indeed is that lamp unto our feet and that guide unto our path that, that again, we would never trust in our own understanding. But God, we would see life through the prism you've given us, through the lens you've given us, that namely being your sure and your certain word. God, as so often the case, as I stand before this, your people, the people you've entrusted to us to, to shepherd, we become so very aware of the challenges. It seems each week, there's a new challenge. There's a new family that's facing a crisis. Even among our young people, we see the realities of a fallen world pressing in upon them in so many different ways. And I want to say to them and to their families that your word is still sure, and it is our comfort. It is our light, even when days do seem difficult and dark. Lord, we, we lift up each of them, and Lord, even for those that are in challenges that I do not know about, whether they be very early in life's journey or very late, may they know your grace. We pray particularly for Ava Mullins and her family, and I pray for answers to that which is afflicting her. I pray for healing. I pray for grace and peace for all that are involved. Lord, give us wisdom to live in a world in which we would never be dismissive of the challenges and the distress that they bring. But God, that we together would walk through these deep and often dark valleys together, confessing your goodness and your greatness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the challenges that we face in our culture, in our world today. It's not really new, but certainly for me it's become an increasing reality that we have to get into the issues related to the source of our authority. Why is it, why is it that you can insist that this is true, that this is false, that this is a vice or this is a virtue. And 
it seems to me as we look at this short three-chapter letter that Peter wants to communicate some things that are important, that are, that are relevant, that, that are useful to every believer in every generation. He spoke to us last week in regards to the certainty of our salvation. We will look next week at uh, some issues related to clarity uh, in determining uh, truth and error, and even the consequences for uh, embracing uh, error, and, and then a word of sobriety about the day we stand before our Lord. And all of those issues are tied or intrinsically related to the truthfulness, to the certainty of the Word of God. That, that indeed we have a sure Word that is not obscure. Now, I'm not going to tell you they're not difficult things to be found in the Bible. There are. Go try to obey some of the commandments. You'll find out how hard it is. Yeah. But, yeah, there are things that are even difficult to understand. They challenge us. But I also want you to understand, and I want you to be comforted, that we know enough to live in a way that is pleasing to God, which is the ultimate issue, is it not? And for us to live lives that are fulfilling, that are characterized by what sometimes we refer to as human flourishing, that, that we would do well if we obey that which God has commanded us to do. That it will work well for you, it will work well for your family, it will work well for everyone that is under our influence. And so that is a, indeed a, a great purpose for us, that, that, that we can answer life's great questions with clarity and with authority on the basis of the Word of God. So let's look, first of all, at verses 16 through 18, and Scripture, the Word of God, your Bible, that which you hold with you in your hands, that which you have, that Word is rooted in reality. Several months back, when we did our family series, one of the, the things I kept trying to drive home is that the realities of our life in this world, the, 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 the admonitions that are relevant to our life are rooted in reality, that, that we're living in a world that wants to divorce our existence from fact, from reality, from, from the historic, the real true history. And that is dangerous. And, and once you lose reality, you lose the gospel. Because the gospel is rooted in creation order. The gospel is rooted in man's real rebellion against God. The gospel is rooted in man's real need for a Savior. The gospel is rooted in a real man whose name is Jesus Christ who lived a real life in a real world and died a real death on a real cross and was raised from the dead for your real salvation. That's real. That's true. And we have a sure word from God. Now, Peter says this. He makes that affirmation by way of negation. We did not. We did not what? We did not believe, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Now, at some point in your education, I would assume that you were exposed to something uh, related to ancient mythology, maybe in a literature class, maybe in a world history class, I don't know, it's whatever kind of class, and you see it, ancient mythology, I, you see references to it in children's cartoons, and you see it uh, in, in various types of entertainment. So most of us at least know something. If I say Zeus or Apollo or Jupiter, you, you got a little idea, 
okay? Now, here's what was going on. The ancients knew they were alive. They knew there were things going on. Uh, they, they knew that there was a reality, and they were attempted to explain why there's a here and why there's a now. Now, tragically, because they were fallen, their minds were darkened, their hearts were closed to the gospel, they suppressed the knowledge of the truth in their unrighteousness. Y'all ever heard that before? Seems like it's been referred to at least a time or two. And, and so that was the reality. So they were clever in saying, this is why we're here, and this is why the things are like they are. And what did they do? They do the same thing modern man does. They create a God that will indulge their sinfulness. The gods of the ancient world were as immoral, they were as corrupt as people were. So how great is it to have a God that is as bad as you are? Right? They were clever in inventing these things to explain why. And so man is intrinsically, he is essentially, he's intuitively, he is constitutionally religious. He is, by his very nature, spiritual. We, we deeply desire something bigger than us outside of us. We are inquisitive. Why? I don't know what a child's first word is. I mean, no is real in the top ten for sure. I won't is, is, is in there. And, and, and closely following is why. Right? And, but but that, that's wired up in us. Why is there a sun in the sky during the day? If you ask a why... You also ask a how, don't you? How, how did it get there? And so why are things as they are? We ask those questions, and besides being religious and spiritual and inquisitive, we're relational. We're designed that way to live in community and in communities. We are communicative, that, that we communicate with each other. We, we speak to each other. And within those relational communities, guess what we do? we develop either a formal or informal system of morality. Every culture that there's ever been. Wherever two or more together, there will be a system that defines vice and virtue. I mean, I can sit down with any couple, and I can spend some time with them, and I can figure out pretty quickly, well, this is what works at that house, and this is what don't work. Okay, the, the, this is the things that irritates the husband, and here's the things that irritates the wife. I mean, every family kind of has a, a system, and they may not write it down. Now, you know, you know, we've all seen the, what do you call it, the embroidery, the cross stitch, and, you know, it's got little house rules, and, you know, we can think of a lot of them. They may not be formalized, but just so we don't kill each other, we kind of understand well, here's the way we, why is everybody laughing? Or at least the married people are. Well, some of you aren't laughing. You're kind of gritting your teeth. But, but at any rate, in every situation, there has to be some way of defining how it is we're going to live together. And here's the great thing for us. You ever heard the phrase, we don't have to reinvent the wheel? You ever heard that? You ever heard that phrase? God defines for us how we are to live together. And the Bible goes, of course, so much further than that. In that it ain't, you remember what I said? Man is inquisitive, spiritual, he's religious. All of these things are tied together. The Bible answers for us, and I, it's hard to put these in a particular order, so you, know, you can kind of work them around differently. But the Bible answers our question as to our origin. Does it not? The Bible tells us where we came from. And because it tells us our origin, you know, we can trust it when it tells us where we're going to. 
Okay, that's a big question, right? What happens when I die? The question of, of destiny, the, the, the interrelated question of our purpose in life. Why am I here? For what good reason am I here? And there is a good reason that you're here. In fact, the ultimate reason is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why God created you. And notice, notice what I said. To know God and be an utter wretch your entire life, to be miserable, that's not what it says. To enjoy him, to find joy in this life and a joy for the next life, and those things kind of flow together. I, the only reason I can be joyful in this life, really, I may find some pleasures, some of them may be perverse, some, uh, some may be pleasures that do, actually do damage to me. But the only way I can know joy in this life is to know the issues related to the next life are resolved. That, that, that again, I, I have a purpose for, for living, and, it, and it, it is intrinsically related to my destiny. We've already mentioned that this sure word from God gets at the issue of right and wrong. Why? Is there suffering in the world? I mean, why, is, why doesn't everything just go perfectly? You know, why, why, why are these, there are these calamities from stopped up drains to flat tires and just keep going? Why, why do these things happen? We, there, there is an explanation of why things aren't perfect. And the fact that they're not perfect makes us long for that which is perfect. It's coming one day. And so we seek these answers as to why the world isn't as it ought to be. Why, why am I in the midst of a season that is so frustrating, that, that is so difficult, that, that has that is done, uh, created such great anxiety in my life? And apart from the Bible, there are no real answers. And here's the thing. There is no real hope. There is no real hope at the end of the day, apart from this sure word. And so, while man seeks answers, and by George, they're going to give you one. Just ask him. They're going to give you an answer. I was able to, to go home for a couple of days, Somerville. It's always a good thing for me to go back and kind of touch base with the roots and just all the things you know reminded of and we laugh about I can still think of standing on a construction site and having to give an explanation as to why things weren't done as they were supposed to be done and let me tell you something I could get real creative I could come up with some really imaginative excuses and they didn't let one of them get an inch off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And so man is, is incredibly clever when it comes to f making some kind of excuse or offering some kind of flimsy explanation. But God has given us a sure word. Now, Peter wants to root it in a particular event from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it the transfiguration recorded in Matthew 17 in Luke chapter 9 in which Peter, James, and John were told to go, asked to go on a field trip with Jesus. Okay? And so they go off and they go up into what's sometimes referred to as the Holy Mountain. And they saw this sight that just overwhelmed them. It, it seems to me to be similar to that which Isaiah experienced as recorded in Isaiah 6 and that which Moses encountered uh, when he was placed in the cleft of the rock to, to see something of the glory of God. That it was overshadowing, it was overwhelming, it was overpowering, it was something that stuck in their consciousness. And it was a, a colossal experience. They were eyewitnesses he calls it the majesty. I, I think what he's probably getting at is something of the eternal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, 
Jesus Christ didn't come into existence at his incarnation. Jesus Christ is eternal. He never had a beginning. He'll never have an end. And he's always been glorious. And that glory was veiled in his humanity. And in those moments on that mountain when both Moses and Elijah appeared with him, and so what, what, what did they get? Moses says this is the guy. Elijah says it's the guy. The law and the prophets. And then the father himself says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You better listen to him. That was pretty impressive. But they saw something of this eternal glory of Christ in what they saw that day. And it just reinforced. Now, remember, Peter has already said in answer to the question, well, what are folks saying? Well, you know, some saying John the Baptist and some, you know, this, that. And the other. You know how people talk. Everybody's got to have an explanation. May not be a good one, but they got one. Now, here's what I want to know. And here remains the essential question for every one of us. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that this person, this man, revealed in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, who do you say he is? And Peter got it right. Now, we always like to make fun of poor old Apostle Peter, don't we? Kind of like y'all do me. Y'all make fun of me sometimes. And, you know, it's kind of hurtful, but that's okay. I'm, I'm tough. But we make fun of Peter. But he got it right. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon that reality of who I am, I'm going to build my church. Not on you, Peter. No, 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 no. Catholics blew it, as they do in many different ways. Enough about that. But I'm going to build my church. It's going to be built on the reality of who I am and what I'm going to do in the gates of hell. They'll never, ever prevail against my church. You want to be sustained in life? Get into, involved, integrated into that which the gates of hell will never prevail against. And folks, let me tell you something. Sometimes it feels like the gates of hell are swinging wide open to swallow us up in this life. But they never, ever will because of the sure word of God. So they saw something of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is referring back to that. And so they became increasingly convinced. Now, they've already spent lengthy time with Jesus. They've seen him uh, do the miracles. They've heard him, they've heard him teach with great authority, they, the, the authority that nobody else had ever demonstrated. They had seen by his very spoken word, the curing of diseasing, the casting out of demons, the solving of disasters, by simply saying, peace, be still. They saw all of that, but they were 100% convinced, as John would write in his gospel, that the Word, that which was eternal, became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. They were convinced of that and and as John would later write in that little epistle that we love so though so much that uh, that which was from the beginning which we've heard we've seen we've looked upon we've touched him that's real reality that's real reality do you get it you remember what I said a minute ago real reality Jesus is the real thing he is, he is the God-man. He is the Savior. And he's revealed himself. And we can have confidence that we know this Jesus on the basis of his word. And so we heard the testimony from heaven that indeed this is my son. And so they knew that Jesus was and is uniquely the Son of God, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, that he was the promised Davidic Messiah, that he was the blessing to the nations promised to Abraham, that he was a one-of-a-kind Savior, that he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings. 
they knew it. And so on the basis of what they knew about Jesus from their firsthand experience, not because they were so imaginative and so creative that they, can't, they conjured up a story about a guy because of the truth of the things that really happened. They knew these things, and here's what they made known. That every person born on the face of the earth is in need of salvation. They need a Savior. They are all guilty in Adam, and they're guilty by their performance. They have violated God's law. They're liable for condemnation before a holy God. Folks, if this is not true, if those things aren't true, let's go home. If, if, if men are not guilty before God, and Jesus is not uniquely the Son of God, the only Savior that's ever been and ever will be offered to the world, and that all men will stand before Him one day and give an account for what they have done in response to this good news that there is a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. If those things aren't true, let's go home. You're dismissed. If they're not true, go home. You're wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. But we're not. And y'all stay where you're seated. Okay, And so, they have made this way of salvation clear. They have revealed our Heavenly Father and His Son and His Holy Spirit clearly. Now, look here in verse 19. So, on the basis, trustworthy. It's not man's imagination. It's not cleverly invented fables. It's not from the fallen heart of man. This is real reality. This, this is what we experienced and what we know to be true. Verse 19, Scripture demands our attention. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well. Hey, listen, question. How many of you would like to do well? Well, let me ask you in another way. How many of you would like to be just consummate disasters? Just everything fall apart. Just, you know, just everything about your life, just go to heck in a handbasket. You see how spiritual I'm getting, folks? I'm growing. I'm growing in the Lord, okay? Yeah. Now, you will do well to pay attention. Again, oh my gosh, how many times would I be instructed about how to do something? Pay attention. Pay attention. Any of you ever told a child that? Anybody ever told somebody under your authority at work, an employee or something? Pay attention. How much more so? Because this word is sure. And, and notice how, what he says. Yeah, we saw something of the glory of Christ. We heard the voice from heaven. We even saw Moses and Elijah. But you, sitting here today, have a surer word than those of us that had this colossal experience because the word of God, the truth of the gospel, has been confirmed. It's been confirmed for 2,000 years. The skeptics have tried to destroy it, and it only comes back stronger. And so, you will do well to pay attention to that which is a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, none of you will admit this, but I'll admit this. I'm scared of the dark, okay? I, I mean, man, if I walk into a room, I flip a light on. And, uh, you know, part of that's because I'm afraid of what might be in there. Uh, it ain't funny. But you know what part of it is? Because I'm old and clumsy. And while I never leave anything in the middle of the floor, ever, ever, things get left in the middle of our floor that will cause me to trip in the darkness in the middle of the night. And here's the thing. It is a dark world. It is a dark world. And here's the thing, if you're an unbeliever, you have an equally dark heart. 
I mean, you fit right into the world because the darkness of the world suits you just fine. Okay? Yeah. And so the Word of God is this light that keeps us from falling flat on our face because we trip over that which in the light is completely obvious. As I look at the moral agenda of whatever you want to call it in our culture, this absolute insanity that they're insisting is a virtue, it ought to be obvious to anybody with two brain cells that bump into each other that this stuff will not work. It just won't work at any level, any way you want to cut it. It doesn't work. And so, folks, you would do well. You would do it. That's a promise. It's a command, but it's also embedded in it as a promise. If you would do well, it would be because you have paid careful attention. Oh, you can't ignore it. Now, you can do this. You can take your Bible, pitch it somewhere. You, never, you can never look at it. You can never read it. You can even go, ah, you know, that's just Brother Tim. You know how he is. But deep down, in your heart of hearts, you can't ignore it. You know it's true. You've got the questions. And you know what you're doing? You know how you're answering those questions? With the flimsy excuses of your evil heart. If you don't give attention. If you do not pay attention to this word. Okay? And so, this word is the, our light in this dark world. Again, then that's a favorite metaphor, both Paul and John, of Jesus being the light, of the gospel being the light. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 4 4. The God of this world, that being Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. And he goes on then to write, but God who said, let the light shine in the darkness. In other words, when the world was in complete darkness, God spoke on the power and authority of his word, created light before the sun was created, by the way. And he says that the one who said, let the light shine in the darkness, has shown in our hearts That's a personal and powerful experience. That the gospel came to us in such a powerful way that it illuminated our hearts and minds in this dark world which we can't figure out which way to go. We're afraid of stumbling. We're going to stumble. We have stumbled. This light has come to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That indeed is the gospel. That is the good news of a Savior who has entered our realm. And so pay attention. Here's an interesting phrase. Now, sometimes I say things, and I say them to get your attention, that I'm convinced. I wouldn't stand up here if I was not convinced I was telling you the truth, that I was rightly dividing. As I've told you before, you don't want me to get here and say, well, you know, I don't even know, but I'm going to tell you something. And you can do with it what you want to. No. Now, if you ask me, Tim, do you believe that 100% of your theological and doctrinal commitments are absolutely, absolutely 100% pure? There is no error. There's not a shadow of an error in anything that you believe or anything you teach. And I say, nah, I'm sure that I'll get modestly straightened out when I see Jesus. But that's a different question and saying, well, well Tim, you, 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 you know, I'm not aware of anything that I'm wrong about. Now, there is a, I mean, how would you feel? Well, I know I'm wrong about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Well, that's stupid. No. And I believe that the Word of God typically is sufficiently clear that we can have confidence about what it says and what it means and how how it applies to our life. There's a a unity of what the Spirit has done in the writers of Scripture, and there's a unity of His witness in our life that illuminates us to the truth of the Word of God. And that doesn't mean that occasionally we don't have discussions and debates and disputes and all those things. But we got the core right. We, we, We know this truth. 
So pay attention when, now, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? Is he talking about, well, until you're saved? Well, it seems to me that he has said that I'm writing to those that have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, okay? That he's writing to believers. Now, anytime you're addressing believers, there's the possibility and probably even the likelihood that there are unbelievers mixed into it, okay? And, and maybe he's saying something. I'm aware that most of you have been converted, but some of you haven't, and you need to pay attention until you're saved. Well, until you're saved? No, you need to pay attention after you're saved too. And so I think, and I hold this loosely, okay, I you know, may be wrong, okay, could be. You'll rarely hear me say that, but, you know, I think he's actually referring to the day. The morning star is who? It's Jesus. We know who the morning star is, don't we? Because he says that I am the morning star. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Okay? You thought it was Venus, didn't you? All right, okay, no, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. But I think what he's referring to, that this admonition, that this command, it is binding, it's applicable, it's relevant until the day that Christ returns. And, and yes, he expresses it in kind of a subjective way until the morning star rises in your heart. Well, let me tell you something. The morning star is not just going to rise in your heart. He is going to part the eastern sky. He is going to come announcing that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. It is going to be real. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be colossal. It's going to be more than just what's going on in your heart. But for the believer, they'll get it. They'll get it fully. They'll understand all the information. I mean, the, the pagan world is still be, will still be going on. What's, what? So I think that's what he's referring to and just the fact. That as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, even as believers, we're still looking in the mirror, seeing dimly. We, we don't see the perfect. All right. Final thing. Scripture was written by inspiration, verse 2021. Knowing this, he knows it, you better know it. Okay? That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What's he saying? Scripture is not the product of man's imagination, man's intuitiveness, man's inventiveness. That, that Scripture is rooted in the will and the revelation and the work of God in the mind and the heart of the writer who wrote the Scripture. Okay? Now, this also gets at the idea that we are free to project upon Scripture any meaning that we want to assign to it. It's very popular. And I first heard of this as a child, and it was kind of the liberal inroad in the Southern Baptist Convention that we could interpret Scripture any way we wanted to. Uh, and then it became, well, no, that's not even Scripture that Paul had a problem with women. Paul was this, that, or the other. So we can disregard Paul. We can disregard uh, that type of thing. All of those things are dangerous. But I think, ultimately, this idea that I get to assign arbitrarily the meaning of Scripture is as dangerous as any idea there is out there. Let me tell you what you better be. You want to know the meaning of Scripture? You better determine what God meant by what he said. Okay? That's the only thing. What do I say? It's okay to be right. Now, to be right is not necessarily to agree with me, but it's to agree with God, God's Word. Okay? And, and so, we have this Word, and he, and he tells us in verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. I've already kind of touched on that. But men spoke from God as they were carried along. It's like the wind carrying a boat along, okay? The, the wind blowing and moving something. And so men were carried by the Holy Spirit. That, that, now, we can talk a lot about maybe what that inspiration, actually how it worked. There's been those that have held that they were like a, 
a ticker tape, I mean, not, uh, yeah, ticker tape machine, a, a teletype machine or something like that. Um, uh, it's called dictation theory, that it was almost like a trance, and they just, you know, kind of just mechanically uh, spit out what God told them. Uh, some would say, oh, it just means kind of like an artist or a writer is inspired to write. Uh, those are probably both inadequate. In fact, I'm sure they're inadequate. But that God, in a way that is a mystery, informed and empowered and engaged those human authors that they wrote exactly word for word exactly what he wanted said. And every word of our Bible has a purpose and has a meaning. And we can be clear and we can be certain and we can be confident about this word from God. We can be certain and remember that Peter's kind of initial assertion way back in verse 3 that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has revealed to us in his Son and in his word, that testimony to his Son, everything that we need to believe that we can stand before him with confidence Again, not confident because of what I have done or what I haven't done, but confident because I have trusted that the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ has been imputed to me and my sin has been imputed to him. My sin issue has been resolved upon the cross through the person, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation gives great clarity as to the testimony of that which was accomplished and that which was must be offered, and that which you must do in response to that information, which is namely, you must repent, you must believe, okay? You, you must absolutely stake the entirety of everything that you are and everything that you will be on the truth of this message of the divine Son of God dying on the cross and being raised from the dead for our sins. Now, you've heard me, I, I believe, I'm convinced, I believe it's biblical, I believe it's true, I believe it's right, that the only way you'll come to repent and believe is to be born again. That the engine that drives your repentance and faith, that the root that produces the fruit is the new birth. It's this thing we call regeneration that comes through us, you know, comes back to the Word of God, doesn't it? How do you become born again? Well, you place yourself under the sound, under the authority, under the instruction of the Word of God. It's the imperishable seed of the new birth. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. And here's the thing, but we hold those all, all together. I think sometimes if we overemphasize the new birth, you can go, well, I had a kind of a religious spasm one time. You know, it was kind of, kind of. I got kind of tore up about this, that, or the other. Well, that's not quite enough. Well, I, I, I did what the preacher told me to one time. Well, that's certainly not enough. As you sit here today, are you born again? Has the Spirit of God so worked in you that you are? been given life where there's death. Has the light shone in the darkness of your heart? Well, I don't, how do I know? We remember, we tie these things together. It's because right now, as you hear me today, you're repenting and you're believing. And you're doing it every day. That as the Word of God binds your conscience and sin is exposed in your life, you repent of it. And then you continually trust that even your repentance is only enough to send you straight to hell were it not for the fact that Christ died for you. He is the sufficient sacrifice even for the sinfulness of your own repentance. So how do you know you've been born again? Well, I, I, I did this and I know right now. God's Holy Spirit has convicted me. You name it. All of us need to be convicted about a whole laundry list. Every single one of us. Maybe, maybe it's your anxiety about something. 
maybe you're just ticked off at somebody. Maybe you're harboring, maybe you're coveting. I mean, I could, I won't do that to you today. But as that sin is exposed, do you defend your right to sin? And please, somebody today, let's make sure we complete the liturgy. When you leave, now, Brother Tim, Brother Tim, you know we all sin now. Make, make sure you complete the liturgy, okay? But when we sin, we're driven to the cross. And we're trusting, and we're thankful, and we're worshiping a Savior who is gracious to save. Even sinners like me. Absolutely incredible. And he would save a sinner such as me, prayerfully, such as you. And so, a sure, certain word gives us confidence right here today and gives us confidence for tomorrow and I believe gives us confidence all the way. While living in an uncertain world, we have a certain word from God. And it is authoritative, and it is applicable, and it is relevant, and it is that which, indeed, we must stake our lives upon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your grace, for your gracious testimony of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we thank you for that spirit that you have sent. That it wasn't just to inspire writers from so long ago. That very same spirit came into our heart and gave us life where there was death and, and caused us to believe and gives us the illumination to understand and to love and to apply this sure testimony of yourself. May we indeed live in light of, in the confidence of this certain word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.